On a warm summer evening in 1923, Lytton Strachey and Duncan Grant headed across London for an extravagant late-night party. Lytton wasn't entirely sure that he liked the flashy American hosts, with their fancy sunbeam car and sudden interest in all things Bloomsbury. But he knew that his partner Dora Carrington and many of his other younger friends were smitten. Beautiful, rich and bisexual, Henrietta Bingham and Mina Kirstein exuded jazz-age glamour. They could mix the latest cocktails, dance the latest steps, and knew all the popular show tunes. Guests of honour that evening were dancer Florence Mills, known as the Queen of Happiness, and blues singer Edith Wilson, the black American stars of Dover Street to Dixie, Charles B. Cochrane's latest hit review at the London Pavilion. Mills and other cast members danced and sang, and Henrietta hitched herself up onto the piano to play her saxophone, resplendent in a purple dress. Even the most jaded spirit must have found it hard to resist the megawatt smile of Mills. Publicity photos from the show, taken that summer, capture a triumphant Mills raising a top hat above her shimmering bugle-beaded dress, a silver-handled cane tucked deftly under her arm. Revellers drifted into the lamplit garden through the open French windows. Jazz music lingered in the air. Strachey stayed until the small hours, amusing himself by chatting to Mina's handsome teenage brother, who had sneaked downstairs to join in the fun, and, intrigued by Lytton's old-fashioned appearance, had decided some gentle teasing was in order. I was urged to ask Lytton if he slept with his beard inside or outside. Outside, he confided. Duncan Grant was in equally mellow mood, telling Mina when she came to sit for a portrait that everything had been absolutely perfect, beautiful to look at and delicious to taste. Bingham and Kirstin had arrived in England with a fistful of society introductions. Henrietta's millionaire father was a Kentucky press magnate, and Mina's wealthy family owned a Boston department store. To begin with, they hung out in the obvious places with the obvious people. Mina knew the daughter of Gordon Selfridge, founder of the Oxford Street store, so evenings were spent dancing at the Savoy or the 43 Club. But the pair had a more adventurous spirit, seeking company where hidden sexualities might be more accepted. Months of Freudian analysis in Harley Street had failed to quench their passion for each other or their desire for partners of both sexes. A chance meeting in Bloomsbury Bookshop, Birrell and Garnet, led to friendship with a group of writers and artists who had made sexual openness their watchword. Lytton Strachey and Duncan Grant led the old Bloomsbury cohort at Mina and Henrietta's party. They belonged to a different age group to their hosts, but their attitudes were thoroughly modern. According to Vogue, Strachey had created a revolution in the art of biography, demolishing the stuffy heroes of the Victorian era with his deliciously ironic takedowns. Grant's paintings were proving similarly popular, bold enough to feel subversive, but decorative enough to retain a broad appeal. The Telegraph had described him as one of the most audacious and it must be owned one of the most brilliant post-impressionists or extremists, and his work was finding its way into the papers and onto the stage. Provocation was the order of the day, and the two first cousins contributed in equal measure. Grant took a devil-may-care approach to his image, but Lytton's look was intended to inspire a reaction. The long dark hair, flowing red beard, and distinctive drooping demeanour were perfect material for caricature, and popular cartoonist Max Beerbohm duly obliged. The Bloomsbury group had gained a controversial reputation before the First World War. 
By 1923, they were becoming unforgivably successful. Bloomsbury's irreverent spirit struck a chord with the post-war generation, reaching an audience eager to challenge traditional conventions. Young people who met them in person were struck by their frank approach to life and love. It was rare to find an older group so open to new ideas, so accepting of different sexualities. Indeed, meeting your heroes was easier when most of them lived next door to each other. Vogue's October 1925 edition provided a helpful guide to the Bloomsbury area of London. Assembled within a radius of about a 100 yards were an impressive array of brains. All the Strachys, Maynard Keynes, Adrian Stephen, Clive Bell, round the corner the house of the Hogarth Press, where sits most satisfying to me of all writers, Virginia Woolf, and not far away, her sister Vanessa Bell, and the best of contemporary painters, Duncan Grant. Diarist Francis Marshall was one of the lucky young fringe Bloomsburys who gained direct access. Fresh from Cambridge University, Frances was only 21 when she joined the staff at her brother-in-law David Garnett's Bloomsbury bookshop and found herself in daily contact with an awe-inspiring set of customers. These, I reflected, were the sort of people I would like to know and have friends among more than any others I had yet come across. I was instantly captivated and thrilled by them. It was as if a lot of doors had suddenly opened out of a stuffy room which I had been sitting in for too long.